0: What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I am your host, Jake Burns, and we are going to share a fun episode today where we have some great guests lined up that do what I like to call the series, newly naming this series that I've done for a couple of years, Getting to Know Your New Cleveland Browns. Okay, It's a fantastic name, don't question it, but we, the purpose of this series has always been getting a better perspective of the players the Browns drafted, and that's the goal every year. That's what we're going to do here. And it's uh, it's not as easy every time as I hope it is. You know, I've gotten a hold of or tried to get a hold of several people from Mississippi State. I have not been able to get a hold of one yet. So when I do, I will share that one with you. But we have two guests coming up here in just a little bit uh, that are going to discuss with us the Browns' second and third picks of the draft, which are Alex Wright and David Bell. Some really good interviews to share there. Before we get there, though, we are going to start with a little something that irked me on social as the Browns are in this dead period. Any news would be welcome news right now, but the thing we have to keep talking about is the player looming out there, Baker Mayfield. I hate talking about it. I'm tired of talking about it. But Josina Anderson puts out a couple tweets tonight. Spoke to a source from a team that expressed interest in Baker Mayfield Had talks, but they cooled not wanting to pay asking price, feeling he has to be cut. Their following comment tonight. Their follow-up comment tonight. No one's trying to do the Browns any favors in this situation. Hashtag, she says, this is ridiculous. Some things have evolved since the draft and will shed light soon enough on the road and perspective ahead. That said, I've already tweeted my thoughts on the Browns' leverage. Leverage is a fluid concept fortune can change in the blink of an eye and usually favors those who wait. Okay. I don't know what other way to say it at this point. The NFL's most precious position is quarterback. If you find a guy, a real guy, you go out and get him. The Browns are living proof of this that no matter... I mean, there's always a threshold here, but there's a high, high threshold for quarterbacks here that that you can put up with a lot if you can go get a guy who's really good at the position. You'll do anything. And the Browns, again... We're not alone in the pursuit of Deshaun Watson, so don't try to tell me that this was a Browns-only thing when there were several teams, the list trimmed, and every one of the teams on the list trimmed were going above and beyond. And listen, Miami was in well before this sweepstakes even started, but they wanted Deshaun Watson to settle all the civil cases before, and he wouldn't do it. So there has been interest forever, and your opinion of that I get, I respect but let's not act like teams are not willing to go crazy in terms of putting themselves in the public scrutiny situations to get a quarterback. So you have Baker Mayfield, who's set to make just nine, just a hair under $19 million next year, and it's it. That's it. He doesn't have a year after that. So you can manipulate the contract if you want to keep him around for whatever it is, and that $19 million puts him well, 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 well below many quarterbacks in the NFL. And we'll look this up quarterback salaries over the cap he he is not he is not (laughs) anywhere near uh let's let's figure out what his number is here according to uh the total value average per year that would put mayfield behind tom brady's 25 million and out in front of Jameis winston's 14 million pretty much rookie contract guys and then those fringe veteran hold you know place holding starting types Mariota. You know, Jameis Winston is in that group, and then it's a bunch of rookies. So, like, guys, what, 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 do you, what, what are you not understanding? If a team desperately needed a quarterback and wanted to win, they would go after Baker Mayfield. They would do whatever it took to get him. Now, I talked with Kevin Clark yesterday a little bit about this evolution and maybe this change in teams who either know that they have a dude, a real guy, or they don't, and they're trying to kind of – plummet their value to get that guy because that's a justification a franchise can use. So there's some of that at play here. But if Baker Mayfield were a serious quarterback in the NFL and were being taken serious by his peers, he would be moved already. It is not that much money. Okay? I, I understand that there are worse quarterbacks than him about to get starting opportunities. I also understand that if he, you need to kind of, I'm not saying everybody here because I think most people understand this the right way, but you need to understand he, his worth in the NFL is being shown to you right now. It is being proven to you by teams unwilling to give him the opportunity to come in and start for them. They don't want to deal with it now, will they deal with it for five, six, seven, eight million? Sure, okay, they will, but for the most part, as we sit here, even if the Browns who are on the record saying they plan to be able to eat some of that money to make that trade very similar to the trade that sent uh Teddy Bridgewater over from Carolina to Denver before last season started, they're willing to do that now. the exact amount we don't know, but they're willing to do it so you know, you, you, you're trying to say the Browns have put themselves in this terrible spot and blah, blah, blah. They, they went after a quarterback. They didn't want to give up Baker Mayfield and have no quarterback if the Deshaun Watson thing fell through. So they took a risk. The, the, the quarterback they wanted paid off. Now they have to figure out what to do with Mayfield. If a team really wanted him, they would have come and got him. The Matt Ryan thing in Indy, okay, that tells you all you need to know. Older, a ton of money. What do you want to know? I don't know what you're missing teams do not value Baker Mayfield and all that comes with him at a cheap quarterback salary of only 19 million for a year that would put him in again 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 the 16th highest paid quarterback for a single season so if they believed in him that is a cheap figure to pay now you'll be like, well, they can claim him or go get him when he's cut. Okay, Why, if you cared enough about him being on your team and you believed in him, why would you risk that? It's the same with what the Browns did for Amari Cooper. They took his $20 million, no problem. We'll give you a fifth-round pick and a swap of another. No problem. You do that. You trade those things at the end. You take the player you want because you think they're going to be better. If your plan is to go out and try to sway him on the free agent market for a cheap uh, amount of money... That tells you how the NFL views him. So we need to quit dressing this up any other way than what it is. It's a league that is mad at the Browns, sure, about some things they decided to do this offseason, but they are not going to sacrifice wins in order to just, hey, shove it in the Browns' face. That's not how it works, man. They just don't view him the way you view Baker Mayfield. So I'm sorry about that. There's not a doubt in my mind. Baker Mayfield is better than some of these fringe quarterbacks in the NFL, and especially backups. He will land somewhere eventually. It could ultimately be that the Browns do cut him. I don't know. But those of us who thought Baker Mayfield was going to bring serious return because the money was affordable for a quarterback contract, because you thought the player was worth it, the NFL is telling you no. It's not a thing. We don't believe in him like that. He will get an opportunity if cut because somebody will pay him cheaply. The NFL will pay almost anybody cheaply if they're a fringe player, average player to below average player, okay? That's just how it goes. But there is no belief that Baker Mayfield is a franchise quarterback because if somebody truly believed that, 18.9 or whatever that exact figure is, is extremely cheap. So let's stop pretending, let's stop dressing this whole thing up, and let's come to reality about what the situation is, okay? He is just, He's just not as good as some people have wanted to view him, and the NFL is telling you what his value is. So stop trying to pretend that Mayfield's got this great value that the Browns are suppressing, or other teams are trying to hold the Browns accountable for things that they didn't agree. No, man, the NFL will sell their soul for wins. If they believed in him in any way, shape, or form, it would have already been done. So that's it. That's all. Ultimately, the Browns are probably going to end up cutting this guy. It's where it's going. I don't see a trade happening. I don't. Period. So it's just going to be a cut, and then everybody can move on, and Mayfield will latch on somewhere as a fringe NFL player. Maybe take a job because the team has a terrible quarterback position, but it'll be for cheap money because nobody wants to pay that guy. That's just how it is. So accept it, or, you know, don't live in your fantasy world, whatever you want to do. Let's shift over to the fun stuff now. We're going to bring on Evan Dudley. He's at Dudley Do Write. right, right, as in W-R-I-T-E-A-L. He writes at al.com, which is alabama.com. Does a great job covering uh, UAB sports. So when we saw the Browns draft Alex Wright at 78, I wanted to get a hold of Evan and try to get his perspective, and he did not disappoint. I really enjoyed spending uh, about 10 minutes with him talking about Alex Wright. So let's get over to that conversation right now. I think you guys will enjoy it.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed.
0: Okay, shifting over to Alex right now. Really pumped to have a conversation about him and this really key pick the Browns made at pick 78. I have Evan Dudley, who was kind enough to join us. If you do not know who he is, he writes for UA or writes on UAB for AI.com. Um or sorry, Alabama.com. Um you could tell him from the north here, Evan. My bad man. <laughs> um, th- thanks for thanks for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time.
2: Uh no problem. I appreciate you having me.
0: Well, let's let's talk about um let's talk about this unknown guy from UAB. I would imagine many Browns fans that aren't draft gurus. He comes up at pick 78. They may not have an an idea who Alex Wright is. So trying to enlighten the folks here about who Alex Wright is. So he's a three star prospect, not very well known out of high school. Talk to me a little if you can, if you remember sort of his arrival at UAB and the circumstances at which it brought him
3: there.
2: Uh, Well, like you said, uh. A three star prospect out of high school wasn't rated really high, but he was also from a small school in uh, South Alabama, Elba, Alabama. Uh just a you know, a small little town, uh down probably uh uh closer to the Florida state line. Uh but, you know, he was he was recruited, uh, you know, you know, on the level of men majors, you know, Conference USA, Sun Build, uh, you know, those type of programs. Uh but the uh his position coach at UAB, uh Nick Gentry, who played for Nick Saban at Alabama and was Co-defensive MVP with Courtney Upshaw in 2011. Uh, who Courtney Upshaw eventually became a volunteer assistant the past couple of years. Uh, with Nick Gentry, but uh, you know, they kind of uh, Nick Gentry kind of sought out these guys who were, you know six and a half foot tall, 250 pounds. Uh, you know, as edge rushers, you know, as that position has evolved over the past decade, uh, you really saw what Gentry and uh Courtney Upshaw really did. Those uh, their years at Alabama kind of really started this. Uh, you know. Uh, evolution of the position, the edge rusher, you know, just from being an outside linebacker or a defensive end to a uh, kind of a multi-purpose position. Uh, So, you know, that's kind of what Nick Gentry was looking for. These six and a half foot guys, 250 pounds with, uh, you know, really good motors and come off uh, the block really, uh, really well. And so that's kind of what he did. You know, he went searching for these guys. He found this kid in Alabama, uh, you know, small town. Uh, You know, he knew the coach really well. Uh, You know, i Uh, I forget the coach's name, who was there at the time. Uh, I don't believe he's there at Alba anymore. Uh, But but Nick Gentry knew this guy, and so, you know, he calls him up and says, hey, you know, I got this guy. You know, he fits the mold of what you want. Uh, You know, come down down here, check him out, see what you think. And, uh, you know, the rest is kind of history. Uh, He committed to UAB, uh, signed with UAB. And uh, really developed really well under uh, Nick Gentry and the rest of that defensive staff uh, at UAB because that's uh, something they really on is uh, pressuring the quarterback, really attacking the offense before it has time to attack you.
0: Yeah, so he's he's um was he an instant impact guy? I know he had some nice numbers in 2019. Like I was curious if he was a guy that they they brought in expecting to get going right away, or was he a gradual guy because? You know, he was pretty unknown and really it's ironic because it sounds like he was sort of an unknown on the prospect trail sort of turns into a similar thing where he's a late riser in the in the draft circle. So I was sort of curious. Let Let me phrase it this way. Why, why did none of the did he not catch on with bigger Alabama schools? Was it was it the body type came late to the growth came late or what do you think it ultimately was?
2: I think it might have been a uh, you know a lot of different variables. It probably was their growth came on late. Uh, you know, coming from a small school, uh, you know, maybe not a lot of uh, coverage uh, of him or his team. So it's it's kind of hard to pick those guys out. Uh, you know, like Nick Saban, Nick Gentry probably learned from him. You know, how to find these guys, uh, evaluate them. You know, uh, Saban's brought in plenty of three stars in the Alabama program They ended up being All Americans. So you know, it's it's more about evaluation than the stars and. You know, a lot of people over the past maybe two decades have kind of lost what the star system, you know, really truly was. It was a grade of potential, not you know talent. Uh, You know, it's not a, a baseline for talent; it's a baseline for potential. You know, your five stars are guys who are gonna, you know, be in the NFL uh, pretty much. Uh, you know, they're gonna have great careers. Four stars, you know, they'll, you know, they'll they'll probably make it as well. So, you know, it, it, that's kind of been lost. But Gentry has learned to evaluate these guys, so I think he just kind of stepped in at the right time, evaluated these guys, showed a commitment to Alex Wright, and he honored that uh, when he committed to them, uh, you know, by not being really swayed by meeting anyone else. He maybe came in late uh, and stuck with his commitment to UAB and kind of seeing what UAB was building, uh, especially at that position on defense, uh, you know, it was something that was going to, you know, give him a a chance and opportunity to grow as a player.
0: So remind everybody, what year did UAB shut down the program? Was that 2018? Uh, well, they sh- uh, Bill Clark was hired
2: in-, in 2014, so he coached one year, uh, took a team that went 2-10 the previous year, got into 6-6. Six and six. Their final win of the season was against Southern Miss at home. That got them bowl eligible, and about two or three days later was when the program was shut down in early mm-hmm. December 2014. Now, six months later, they reinstated it, but they had to wait for two years uh, to actually get back on the field. So they they weren't able to step onto the field against, uh, you know, other competition until 2017. But since that moment, uh, they've been bowl eligible every year under uh, Bill Clark. Uh, they've got an 11-win season. This is just a program that continues to build itself, and uh, which is really strange because, uh, you know, for so long, this uh, program was kind of a uh, a, a doormat uh, to yeah. Conference USA. And now it's, uh, you know, pretty much the premier conference uh, Uh, power in that conference and now they're going to move to the American obviously in the next couple years but uh you know that that just kind of goes along with this program of finding these guys evaluating them and really building them up
0: yeah definitely I wasn't sure I couldn't remember the timeline on that I remember it was being uh, you know I remember it being a popular talking point when it when it happened I just couldn't remember so I was off a couple years but so Wright comes in 2019 sort of has a slower 20 season because of the shortened amount of season but like seems pretty consistent over his three years of playing time at uab like what type of guy are they getting is he a, is he a quiet worker is he outward spoken like i'm curious if he was a a team captain in his final year there at uab just kind of curious what browns fans can expect from the person alex right i didn't know if you had any uh, experience talking to him or doing a story on him or anything like that
2: i spoke to him uh, a few times i think i did a couple stories on him uh Speaking with Gentry, uh, at one point I think it might have been at the end of his freshman year, because I'd wanted to do a story his freshman season because he had started, uh, you know, doing some good things. He didn't have a a completely breakout true freshman season, but he played really well in the opportunities he had. I believe he had a really long fumble recovery in one game. Uh, so you know, he he really showed flashes of why he could be that freshman season. And I remember talking to uh Nick Gentry, and he said this was a guy you know who's going to be a draft pick for UAB. Uh, in the coming years, you know, he had that talent, Uh, you know, it was just depending on, you know, on what he was able to do, uh, you know, himself. And from that, from what I learned with Alex, just covering him and the rest of his teammates, uh, you know, Alex, uh, you know, he came across as maybe more of a a quiet guy his first couple of years uh, uh, and maybe got a little bit more vocal, you know, going into his uh, junior season. Obviously, he left early, uh, uh, you know, to join the draft. Uh, So, you know, maybe he didn't get really that official captain status a lot of seniors get but you know he was a guy who became a vocal leader that final year uh you know they had lost a lot of guys obviously Jordan Smith who was drafted by the Jaguars the year before so he kind of had to really step up as that alpha dog uh in that outside linebacker edge rusher room and uh but you know but he is a guy who is very humble that's something you know I also spoke with Gentry about is uh you know that was something he wanted to do since he was a freshman was to you know keep his humility, uh, you know, a priority, you know, let him know, you know, where he came from and that hard work is what it's going to take, uh, you know, not what you do just on the field, but what you do off the field during practices, uh, you know, how you carry yourself in meetings, what you learn, uh, you know, through the playbook, not just, uh, you know, your in a natural talent, but what the work, the work that you put in. Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing about Alex Rott to know is that he is a hard worker and he's going to put his head down And he's going to do the work, uh, you know, more so than probably a lot of draft picks. He's not going to rely just on what he's done. He's going to continue to work and continue to grow, uh, you know, as he uh, continues his career.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we especially want to hear up here is a guy who's not complacent, right? With the pick he was picked and all of that, the Browns need they need a guy opposite Miles Garrett. And, um, you know, Alex has the body type, the look of it and. Uh, the work ethic here that we're hearing about from you that makes us believe he can do it is there um, you know as as far as like on the field are there things that stood out to you that he did really well are there things that you know like I guess too on top of the things you think he did really well was there a belief going into 21 that like yeah he's getting drafted really high or as now we learn that he's the 78th pick in a draft are you kind of as a person close to the team covering them like man that was a heck of a rise he had in this process
2: uh well I I think his uh his opportunity to be drafted was something uh you know I kind of believe when Gentry first told me about it you know knowing that what they had started developing in that position seeing what Alex was able to do pairing him with Jordan Smith as kind of a bookends in that defense and what he was able to accomplish I had a feeling that Alex had a really good chance of being drafted uh you know just with his size you know it's a You know, you know, NFL goes through, you know, they they rely on a lot of your size for a position. You know, that's just, uh, you know, clear cut about it. You know, you got to fit a certain mold at certain points. And uh, he fits that mold. You know, he's six and a half foot tall. Uh, You know, he's 250 pounds. Uh, You know, obviously those numbers will change a little bit as he gets into, into, you know, weight training programs. But, uh, you know, he he is a guy who fits a mold. And I think that's, uh, you know, something that everyone saw. It was just what he was going to be able to produce on and off the field, you know, with his film. As to whether he could be drafted and, uh, you know, being the third round, I think that's a, you know, was a perfect spot for him. Uh, Some people might, you know, wonder, you know, here's a guy from UAB. Why is he being drafted a little bit higher than, uh, you know, what we think? Uh, But, you know, this is a guy who works hard. He's got the talent for it. Uh, He's going to put the work in. And, uh, you know, I think the third round was a perfect spot for him. You know, maybe some people might have had him going later. Uh, but I I thought that he would probably you know be a second day guy you know at the, at the end of his career whenever he announced his intentions to go to the draft I figured he'd be a day two guy.
0: Well, the Browns are excited to have him, and uh, you know he was a, a guy that our website was keying in on very early. Our draft focused uh, writer was so excited, Evan, to get Alex on this team. Man, when they picked him, we were over the moon because we think he's got a lot of untapped potential here. And he's going to be a perfect fit for the type of guy they like up in Cleveland. So really happy to have him. He's Evan Dudley again. He's at Dudley Do Right AL. It's a fantastic Twitter handle. Make sure to follow Evan and follow everything that's going on at UAB and a rising program. Evan, thanks for your time, man.
2: I appreciate it. Uh, y'all enjoy Alex. He's a he's a great kid, a great learner. Uh, and, he, and he wants to learn and he wants to be great. So, uh, I mean, that's what you're getting. You're getting a hungry hungry kid from Alabama, and those are some of the best.
0: Hey, we can't wait to have him. Thanks again. You're welcome. Some really great stuff on Alex there from Evan. I think that it is an interesting situation with Alex, how he was so hidden for so long and then came on draft boards and all of this. And Paul Podesta just yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I think it was Wednesday. Actually, he visited Cleveland Browns daily and the Browns were in love with him. Like they said, they wanted to come out of the third round with Alex, right? Some way, shape or form and really believed that they would, so to see that manifest and happen and work out is really, really cool. Obviously, the OBR was a big fan, our own Corey Kennan, a big fan of Alex Wright. So having the Browns select him, we'll see if the belief in him is justified. But overall, man, really excited for Alex Wright and some great stuff there from Evan. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Now we get over to our other interview, which is on David Bell. So I wanted to get the perspective of somebody who has covered Purdue football and had at least had some conversations with him. So I got Mike Carmen, who does a nice job covering Purdue football. He does so for the Journal and Courier, which is covering the Greater Lafayette and Purdue University as a part of USA Today Network. So excited to have that conversation with Mike. And it was a good one about David Bell, who's an interesting player, kind of quiet guy. So I wanted to pick Mike's brain on him. I think you'll enjoy this little part on David Bell, who we're all very excited about. Let's get over to that interview right now.
3: Okay, I'm excited to have Mike
0: Carmen on uh with me here. He's at Carmen underscore JC on Twitter. Does a fantastic job covering a bunch of different Purdue sports and really wanted to steal some of his time to talk about David Bell. So Mike, how are you, man?
4: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. So let's talk about let's talk about it from the start. So David is a guy from like you said off air, he's from Indianapolis, a pretty big time recruit when you look at who offered him. Did he commit early to Purdue or what did his recruiting look like and, and and was there maybe like a reason he stayed close to home was there some of that stuff too
4: Yeah all those I think all those things factored into how he ended up at, at Purdue First of all David went to one of the biggest high schools in the state of Indiana Warren Central which has a tremendous football tradition and a pretty good basketball tradition as well cuz David played played basketball for them uh, when, he, when he was in high school, so he, he's at a powerhouse program, which is very visible not only in the state of Indiana but across the country. Uh, college coaches know their way to Warren Central; uh, they can drive there with their eyes closed. So he was he was courted by basically everybody in the Big Ten, and then uh, on the national scale as, as well, because he tremendous athlete number one, but a tremendous football player from a receiver standpoint. Uh, you know, had all has all the tools, has all the skill set. Obviously, if you're you're taken in the top 100 of the NFL, you have you have some talent there. Uh, but he was also a very talented basketball player uh, uh, with that. So uh, his recruitment to Purdue, um, he he, not, he necessarily didn't commit early, early, but Purdue was always high on the radar. Uh, one factor being that he didn't he didn't really want to stray too far from home because he wanted to make sure his grandmother uh, got to see him play in person as much as possible. Uh, that was a big factor. And, and, and in the Big Ten, you have a lot of schools close to Indianapolis. So that that played a role. And then uh, when Purdue recruited and, and signed Rondell Moore, uh, who's now with the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Rondell played a pretty big role in, in uh, David's recruitment as far as trying to show him what Purdue can offer what Jeff Broms offense can offer how they can highlight a receiver like Rondell and highlight a receiver uh, like David Bell and, and all those things over David's 3 year career happened where he was he was the focus of the offense and rightfully so because he he continued uh, to make plays so all those, those all those factors i mentioned kind of led him to Purdue he liked Jeff Broms offense he liked the plan that they had for him, uh, not only to highlight him on the field, but things that were going to go on off the field. Uh, so it was it was a good match. It was close to home. Uh, his family could see him play on a regular basis, and uh, it was it was a big it was a big boost for for Purdue at the time because you had this high level recruit that that uh, selected the program. Uh, he actually made his uh, commitment announcement at the. Uh, all-Star game in January. The, the name of it kind of ex- escapes me right now, but he had committed to Purdue prior to that, but he made his official announcement during that weekend. So that 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 put Purdue on the national stage once again, uh, because Rondell did the same thing, uh, you know, a couple years earlier. So uh, all those things kind of factored into him ending up at Purdue.
0: Love that. That's a great story. Thanks for that background. I, what? what let, let me ask you this. Maybe you've spent some time talking to him. Maybe you've had some interview opportunities. I know he was at Purdue in the midst of a weird time with COVID and everything in the 2020 season, so some of that accessibility isn't always as good as it used to be. But what type of person is he? Is he a, Is he an outward vocal leader on the football field, or is he more of a cerebral... Quiet, lead by example type because yeah, you're right about Rondale Moore being the focus of attention there, but but he always produced. I mean, I think I'm I remember I looked at his stat pages, I'm writing some things up about him. I mean, he came in as a freshman right away and he went for over a thousand yards. So I just was curious if he did he become a team captain, that type of guy for Purdue while he was there?
4: Yeah, I mean he was a team captain type of guy, but he's he's just not you know, he's I don't want to use the word light back with him. He's not laid back, but he's not a screamer. Uh, He's somewhere in the middle. He's probably more of a lead by example guy. He's, he's not quiet, but he's not loud. Um, So in, in, you know, in any interview situations we had with him, he, you know, he just, he doesn't ramble for five minutes. You know, he, he says what he needs to say. He answers the question and then, then he moves on and, and that's just, that's just who he is. He, he he is a nice guy. He's very responsible. Um, and I, you know, and I don't, I've done this a long time. I, I really don't claim to know these guys off the field because I have no idea what they do off the field when they yeah. leave, when they leave the, the practice facility or what they do. I mean, I have no idea, but in our dealings with him, he was always professional, always, you know, respectful, uh, always showed up. Uh, so, uh, those are things that matter in in, in my business, at least. Uh, and that way, you have a good a good two way relationship there, as you try to to get to know things about uh, about guys, so you can write about them and tell their story, and they have to trust you to tell their story. But I think deep down, he's a good. He, he seems like a good guy. He seems like a uh, a caring individual. Um, whether he ends up being any kind of leader uh, through his career with Cleveland or you know, if he if he goes somewhere else, you know I don't know, uh, but his his actions on the field, based on what he did at Purdue, will will kind of help will help build that. And he you know he he's he was a playmaker at Purdue, and eventually he will be some sort of playmaker in the NFL. Maybe not at the level he was at Purdue, but he will produce plays uh, in the NFL, and that that brings a certain amount of leadership with it, and a certain amount of respect from your teammates and, and opponents as well.
0: Yeah, I know Andrew Barry talked about how well he catches the football. Obviously, that's not unknown that at this point he landed at pick 99 because of a lack of, you know, air quotes here, a lack of athleticism compared to his peers a little bit. But I think there's some hidden gems in terms of how he plays. Catch radius, ability to go up and get the football when he needs to. Consistently catching it, though, obviously is important. But when he's a top speed guy, like his 10-yard split is pretty strong. So as you watched him over the years... Did you ever get a hint that he was not quite as athletic as some of his peers? Or were you kind of surprised by the testing and a fall to 99? Because everything from the exterior, you know, the Big Ten's best receiver in terms of award winning and things like that, looks like a guy who should have gone significantly higher. And, you know, sometimes these draft cycles, it seems to get to the point where it's people weigh far too heavily into the testing and forget about the player and the production and all of that. So I was kind of curious if you were, you know, watching him through the years, and you're like, well, I can see where the athleticism stuff can fall off here a little bit. But I, I, when I watched him, I just know from an outside, I never noticed it. So I was pretty stunned when they tested the way he did. Did you get the same sort of vibe there?
4: Well, watching him for three years and matching him up against, you know, other Big Ten uh, secondary guys and cornerbacks, um, you know, he, he's never been the fastest guy, and you know, I, I wouldn't say he's not athletic. You know his his downside is he doesn't run a fast forty. That's that's his downside. He is athletic. He's an athletic guy. He's a he's a, he's he's got a lot of qualities that you look for in athleticism. He's just not he's not a burner. And you know and that's that's why he's a third round pick in in the eyes because scouts and general managers, you know, at the end of the day they've got to answer to their picks. And how can you pick a guy in the first round that ran a four five forty when there were four other guys that ran a four two forty, so I mean I, I get it, and I, that's the nature of the business. But the thing that you're asking David Bell to do is catch the ball, and that's what he does. I mean he catches the ball. He catches the ball extremely well. Uh, it doesn't have to be a perfect throw, uh, and he, he's been able to get enough separation uh, against Big Ten cornerbacks uh, throughout his career uh, to to make to make plays and become. The Big Ten receiver of the year to get a thousand yards uh, in a season. So he he has he has enough tools in that box to get the job done. If you're gonna you know, but you can't you can't ask him to run a deep fly pattern and expect him to outrun some of these cornerbacks. That's not going to happen. They have to use him to his strengths. And that's what Purdue tried to do, and he he had some advantages against other guys just because they were not as fast as he was. Or, you know, the other the missing piece with David that people don't always look at is just his strength. Yeah. this is pure strength—the strength in his hands, the strength in his legs, the strength in his upper body. I mean, he's a strong dude, and that's that's why he's able to to make some of the plays. Uh, that, that he's made because he's, he's willing and able to fight for the ball because he has those physical attributes uh, to get the job done. Now, saying all that, there was, it was a, a few years ago when Greg Newsom, who's was on Cleveland, was a cornerback for Northwestern, and Greg News, Newsom shut him down, shut down David Bell. And David Bell acknowledged it. David Bell knew that he had a lot of work to do from that point forward to get in the position where someone would take him in the NFL draft in the first three rounds, but he and he did that work. And there's a lot more Greg Newsom's in the NFL uh, than what he, what he faced in college. So he still has some work to do from that standpoint, but he he understands what he understands his strengths and what he can do. You just hope the team and the way that they design their offense will try to highlight those strengths instead of maybe trying to ask him to do some things that, he's got some limitations
0: on. I love it. Great, great, great stuff, Mike. We appreciate your time, man. And um, I know these are uh, spontaneous out of the blue, but, but Browns fans getting to know these guys really helps them formulate some opinions and thoughts and all of that stuff. So we appreciate your time very, very much.
4: All right. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Well, guys, that's a wrap for today's episode. Make sure you check out the OBR where we have great content going on every day. We had the Martin Emerson analytics Uh, coverage from Cody Sook come up, and uh, I think it's well worth your time. Make sure you check that out. Uh, To figure out some things about the Browns cornerback, I promise I'm working like crazy to try to figure out a Mississippi State beat writer or coverage person to discuss him. We will get there at some point. I got a, a person lined up on all the Oklahoma prospects. We actually interviewed Mike Woods on the garage beers podcast as a part of that interview that aired earlier this week on this feed. So go check that out. If you want to hear from Mike Woods directly, but I'll also be talking with that person about Perry Winfrey and about Isaiah Thomas, who are both exciting defensive line prospects for your Browns. We'll talk with the Cincinnati guest on Jerome Ford. We have some good stuff coming in the, in the next few weeks, a fun uh, weekend guest as well, coming up this weekend for you. So, Listen, hopefully you're enjoying this post-draft coverage. If you got some ideas or anything like that, the DMs are always open. Try to get some guests on the matter here in the month of May. I appreciate all of your guys' support on the website, Twitch. And obviously, this podcast means the world to me. Shout out to Blue Wire for always putting this together. Uh, you know, that that is the, uh, the spot for any podcast. You should go check out Blue Wire for any and every angle of sports coverage. They're one of the best doing it. Thanks for checking it out today, guys. Have a great Friday. Go Browns.